Welcome to the latest edition of Northern Business Leaders in association with the professional services firm Deloitte. In today's episode, we're talking to a business leader who is finding fame as the latest dragon in the BBC Dragon's Den programme. She started her business after applying for a work placement from university in a local paper crafting business. Now, it's Crafter's Companion that she runs, and it's on course for £100 million turnover. Sarah Davis, thank you for inviting us to your shop and welcome to Northern Business Leaders. Well, I felt like you needed to be in it to really experience well, it. certainly do. I mean, this shop has so much. T talk us through what it is you sell and what people can buy from you. So basically, we're into all sorts of crafts as a business. So if you're into making your own cards or doing home sewing, upcycling clothes, doing home decor, we do all of the products that you would need to help you on that journey. Now, we sell them in our own stores, but then we also sell them through the likes of John Lewis and The Range and Hobbycraft. Mm -hmm. And a big part of our business, which we can talk about later, is where we sell them through the TV shopping channels as well. So we truly are a multi-channel business. That is fantastic. And this shop uh, is one of the typical ones of your shops because it's not just selling all the lovely things but yep. in parts of the room uh, there are uh, learning centres, educational areas. Well the big thing that, that you know I've learned about retail in modern days is um, you've got to do it different. You know the high street's struggling, you can't just expect to do the same as before and hope it's going to work because quite frankly it won't. Um, and the big thing for us is experiential retailing. So a lot of people who craft, yes there is an element of you know, I'm going to upcycle this dress to make it something new. But more than that, there is the whole thing of, I just want to do crafts as a hobby. And you need to inspire me to make me want to do something for me to then go on and do that. So the whole point of our stores is, we're not... We're not the sort of store whereby you wake up on a morning, you need a pot of glue, we'll go to Crafter's Companion. It's a case of, you know, get up one morning, what should we do today? Should we have a look out? Oh yes, let's have a look out to that Crafter's Companion store where the husband can sit and have a cup of tea, bacon sandwich, read the morning papers, watch the golf on TV while his wife sits and takes a craft class or watches one of our demonstrations. He's in a great mood, more inclined to be happy if she's spending. She's loving what she's doing, fully immersed in it. And then all of our staff are... They are crafters who've been trained to be salespeople. So they are people who can pick you up on whatever level of the journey you are and inspire you to take it a bit further with the purchase that go with it. How is it? I, I, I can testify to that because while I was waiting for you to arrive, I was asking uh, one of the ladies about a piece of equipment. Yeah. And uh, she not only told me what the piece of equipment was, it was an embossing, a uh, bit of gear for embossing cards. Yep. She said, I've got that model at home and I did my wedding invitations on it. So straight away, she was exactly just engaged that. with me. It was really good. And the difference is a lot of the people that work in our store would never think of themselves as being salespeople. Mm. They are just passionate, enthusiastic crafters. But the great thing about our industry is that passion is infectious. Mm. You get someone who crafts and they literally, they don't just craft, they live, sleep and breathe it. And the best thing they can do is share it with others. And all we do is create an environment where people can share that and it inspires the purchase. Well, we're in one of your very smart shops, um, but it's one of many outlets, as you've explained. The business is now on track for a £100 million a year turnover. Let me invite you to go right back to the very beginning. How long ago was it and how did you make a decision to be an entrepreneur? 
Uh, so I, I think one thing that they, you know I get asked often, are entrepreneurs born or made? What is my thoughts on that one? Um, and I have to say, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. So I was very lucky in that I was born into a very entrepreneurial family and I grew up knowing nothing else. Both my parents have been in business all of their life. Um, you know, they have the local wall, wallpaper and paint shop in our village. I've worked in the shop from being five, six years old. And I think when you, anybody who's watching this who has their own business will know it's not a job, it is a true way of life. Mm. And when you, you know, when you've never known anything else, I knew that I wanted to grow up and have my own business. I just didn't know what that business would be doing. I certainly had no idea mm. it would be doing crafts, if I'm being really yeah. honest. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe I'd take over the, the wallpaper and paint shop or I'd go into a different industry. And I went off and studied management at university. And as part of that, I did a four-year course with a year in industry. And I organised my own placement and went to work for a tiny little craft company. And in the year that I worked for that craft company, it opened my eyes to a whole industry that I had no idea even existed. And I kind of fell in love with the customers more than anything else. It was a, it was such a passionate industry. I thought, yes, I want to start a business in this industry. And then the, the other great thing that's very opportunistic for a business person in this industry is it's a very it's got a cottage industry underfail to it. Yeah. So what you've got is you've got a lot of hobbyists who've turned their hobby into a business and very few people who've commercially assessed the market, looked at the opportunities and developed product into those opportunities. So I felt like that if I just went and did that, got an understanding of the customers, researched their needs, developed products to their needs, textbook stuff, mm. uh, then I could start a business in an industry which I'd fallen in love with. And as an entrepreneur, you've never really had a job or a paycheck, have you? Because you started very young. Yes. I mean, you're young now, but, but really going back, you were a baby in arms as a business person. And, and you know, I'm very lucky that I had the opportunity to do that because I know for a lot of people, they, they don't, aren't for any reason able to start in business until they're later in life. And for mm. me, I was actually still at university. Mm. So I had, a, I had a head full of magic, a head full of ideas. My husband, who's a, you know, we've been dating since I was 15, he's a few years older than me, he had the secure job. Mm -hmm. So he was able to cover our mortgage, which meant I didn't have to bring a paycheck home, mm. which meant that I had the luxury of saying, do you know what, I'm going to take that five grand with the savings I've got I'm going to start my own business I'm going to put whatever into it that we need mm. knowing that actually I didn't need to worry mm. about paying a mortgage keeping a family yeah. anything like this which totally it's just that liberating feeling and I know yeah. so many entrepreneurs don't have that opportunity that you know they don't aren't able to start yeah. at that young in life so for me you know I hit the ground running at 21 and it was a few years before the business was in a situation to be able to give me a wage out of it but it didn't matter but you went through the things that people in business who start right at the bottom have to go through for instance that decision to register for VAT yeah. or that decision to take somebody on or that decision to rent a premises these are quite landmark decisions and you would have been familiar with the anxiety that that would necessarily cause and, and the, the excitement and fear in equal combination. Do you know it's funny I've never stepped back and thought about them like that so for example for me first member of staff. Actually, one of my best friends was on the phone to me the week I started in business. Right. Can my mum come and help you? Right. Is there anything my mum can do? You don't have to pay Sarah. I just want to get out of the house and do something. <laughs> um, Kamala's now been with us 14 years wow. and is um, one of the directors on our board. 
and she literally holds the purse strings and she is one of the most senior people in our business right now. She's my first ever member of staff. You're saying about leasing premises. I actually, you know, I, my university bedroom floor were our premises for that mm. first year. Mm. And I remember coming back from university and saying to my dad, oh, dad, um, the business has really taken off. And, and he converted a corner of our shed for me to have the business in, for Kamala and I to work in then. Wow. So it's all these decisions. I, I guess I didn't make conscious decisions at the time. You just kind of went with it. So you're not an accidental entrepreneur, but you're definitely a successful entrepreneur. And these uh, premises we're in now, this lively shop, and we're, we're filming this on a weekday. My goodness, it's buzzing. People are walking <laughs> around uh, behind us. Um, that is certainly uh, making uh, a big difference. But the business is international and global. And I think in the next section, I, I want to hear more about that. Yes, sounds great. Sarah, we're in this fantastic headquarters building. Uh, I'm looking over the mezzanine here. You've got call centres, lots of people, all very active. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit surreal, really, when you look at it like that, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we're based here in the northeast in at Aircliffe Business Park. We moved to this building about three years ago, and at the time we said, we'll never fill it. We'll never, never fill it in a million years. Here we are three years later, we've just had to literally build a mezzanine on to accommodate the ever-expanding team. People in this area know this, but if you were to come for the first time, you wouldn't. It's a beautiful glass and chrome building, very, very modern. But it was built as one of the premier Ford dealership showrooms yeah. uh, in, oh, 10, 15 years ago, wasn't it? And you've made it something really special. Do you know, I know when we took it on, the, the Aircliffe business community really embraced us because it was this old shell of a building which was a bit of a throwback to former times of you mm. know this hadn't worked and mm. you know the employment that had been lost here so we were kind of seen as a little bit of a beacon of hope when we took this place on and give it a new lease of life so even better to be here a few years later and expanding it further again. Uh, exactly and this is an area of the country which certainly needs this kind of employment and the team are, are incredibly um, enthusiastic but they're also innovative aren't they because they're yeah. they're shaping a cottage business a cottage industry rather into yeah. a big business tell us how you've done that without you've not lost the thread of being and I mean literally the thread of course uh, <laughs> with it being the kind of industry it is of being grounded with the customers but you have put some entrepreneurial business skills in give us a few ideas of how you've done it yeah, so I mean, we talked earlier about this being a true cottage industry. So what we've had to do is is be empathetic to that sort of consumer. And so we have two types of consumers. We have the B2C that we handle and then also the B2B. So people who've got little craft shops all over the country, you know, understanding their business. How can we support them in their business? How can we really partner with them, not just sell a product to them? Because then at the other end of the spectrum, with this huge B2C machine, who is literally, we, we churn out content all day, every day every day to really engage, inspire, educate that consumer and drive the purchase. A little bit like what we saw in store, it's not just about how do we sell a product, it's how do we make the customer want something mm. they never knew they needed and make them feel like they can't live without it. I get the impression that you must put some serious effort into R&D and innovation because as I looked around your store I saw things that were obviously made elsewhere um, from other suppliers but every other shelf you see something with your own brand on, something with your own design, something with your own uh, imprint really. So 
Tell us about this own brand and how you bring products to market and devise them. Yes, I would say first and foremost, Crafters Companion is a manufacturer of craft products. We also have this arm where we are a reseller and we resell our own products as well as other third party products. But the, the majority of our business, I would say a good 90 to 95% of our business is selling our own brand products. Right. And what we do is because our business model is quite unique. So the multi-channel approach means we are selling products through the medium of TV, but the TV mm -hmm. shopping channels, through the medium of demonstration, both in our own stores and also in stores that we partner with. So we have teams of demonstrators, accredited demonstrators out teaching craft in mm -hmm. places like the works and the range, for example. Um, but then we also have our own live streaming content. Mm -hmm. So we broadcast live onto Facebook and YouTube and interact with the customer. So because a lot of our product is being sold to the customer, the old saying is you sell the sizzle, not the sausage, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. So we are really, we're, we're able to teach the product. It's totally different to selling a product off the shelf, which means that all of our R&D, all of our product development is to support developing products which can be sold through the medium of demonstration, which takes you back to actually solving a need for the customer. We, what we're terrible at as a business is developing products that just sit on a shelf and people mm. just go, yep, yeah, I want that. That's not our model. So the products are not just some random idea in somebody's head. They've come out of watching a customer struggle to fulfil a, a specific need or, or seeing a customer that's done something innovative in their own way. Which is why I think the stores are such an important part of our business, not just because it gives us an opportunity to sell to the customer, but it gives us access to the customers on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, the fact mm. that our, our main store is, is located adjacent to head office means all of our product development people are walking through the store every day are seeing customers using our products mm. interacting with them they're looking at our products on the shelves next to our competitors products seeing how they fare we are we literally live sleep and breathe it we don't sit in our ivory towers developing product and then just hope it works when we get out into the real world now I know that you've had a great deal of success in the American market mm -hmm. and it is a huge market 350 million people um, and I, I wonder what gave you the confidence and the the get up and go to go and embrace that market and how you tackled it. So you remember that young girl I was telling you about in a university bedroom 14 years ago? So um, because we kind of became an overnight success story in the British market with our envelope maker, I had this attitude of, well, actually, if that's going to work for me in the UK all my life, how big's the opportunity in America? And I was on a plane within three months out to scope out the market. I was going to walk one of the biggest trade shows, work out what the opportunity was. And actually, I got a rude awakening because... Um, Card making was huge in the UK at the time, and that's where I started my business in the card making sector. Yet in the US, it wasn't a very big hobby at all. They all did scrapbooking. And right. my main product was an envelope maker. Right. Well, you don't need an envelope for your scrapbook page, whereas you would for your cards. So I found I was actually a little bit ahead of the time. Now, luckily, the card making really came in full flow within the US market within a few years. So I learned the market as I developed my business in that market. But yes, I think for me, being over at the trade shows, understanding the consumer, and also understanding the way that that market works is different to the UK. I've seen so many British companies take their business over to the US and assume they can just do exactly the same business model mm. and it'll work mm. and it doesn't and it's not just about consumer buying habits being different it's about the way the distribution channel in that market works is fundamentally different to how we would work here and the you know the way the customer interacts and purchases at different levels of the chain is completely different and you I've had to learn that over the course of the years I'm sure this experience will be widely sought soon with Britain potentially having a trade deal with America why, why did you choose America 
America, above maybe Holland or France or somewhere more nearby? Well, it's that age-old thing of the land of opportunity. Mm. You know, and also a lot of the trends that we see in the UK come from the US market. Mm. <clears throat> so it's always been widely accepted that you know the US market is just like the UK craft market, just at least 10 times bigger. So I figured, you know what, if I've got a model that's working here, Yes, the US might be quite a long way geographically, but at least they speak the same language, trends mm. are very similar. Whereas, you, you know, you use the Scandinavian market as an example. It's fantastic in terms of proximity, but you've got language barriers, yeah. we've got cultural barriers, mm. and tastes, and, and you know, even just which crafts yeah. are popular, very, very different in Europe. Would you be confident that if we get a US-UK trade deal, that'd be great for us then? Are you positive about that? Well, for us, because we've been trading with the US for so long, we actually have a wholly owned US subsidiary. So we trade in the US. Um, I mean, we've, we've been really affected at, at the moment with all of the tariff changes in the US and the import issues. So it, who knows how it's going to affect our business. We've just learned to roll with it yeah, over the last few absolutely. months. Just say, do you know what? Whatever happens, it's going to happen. And let's just, when we know what's happening, then pick up the pace and see how we're going to deal with it. I remember when I was early in business, one of my early clients was Duncan Bannatyne, and it was a time of very high interest rates. And he always used to say, you can't make that kind of weather, you've just got to be able to roll with it. Yeah. Now the problems are slightly different in commerce, internationally and in the UK, and you've just got to and roll with it. And you've just got to roll with it and adapt your business model to suit. Okay. Yeah. Let's have a look at the next stage of your business, something really futuristic, but certainly something that was mature in America that you grappled with, that's online and television. Come and I'll show you what we're doing in our studio, you'll love it. We're in the control room of Sarah's very own mini TV complex. Why did you set up a complex like this? Well, you know, we talked earlier about TV shopping being really at the heart of our business and being a true multi-channel business and developing products that sell through the medium of demonstration. What we found we were doing is using the TV shopping channels in a big way to, to create awareness for our products. But when Facebook Live became big a few years ago, we would literally use a cupboard in the corner of the office, someone with an iPhone, yeah. and I would do shorts. I would basically do a mini version of the TV show to get excitement up ahead of the show. And, you know, they were going so well. I, I remember going to a board meeting saying, these Facebook Lives are doing really well. Instagram Live is going to be the next big thing. YouTube's still yeah. growing in popularity. With all of this live streaming opportunity, we need our own studio. So we signed off a budget at board level to basically take, you know, a, a, an outbuilding adjacent to one of our stores next to head office to soundproof it, to bring in producers, directors, to then put in a gallery... <laughs> Yeah. We did we did get We're a bit carried away. Uh, so literally when we do live streaming, mm. we have a, a producer sitting in here controlling everything to live output onto YouTube, onto Facebook, Fantastic. all these different channels. And then also we can take a lot of this content, chop it down, and use it for our either our retail partners or on our website to constantly drive education and engagement with the customer. Well let's have a look at the studio. By come the way, on, come on you're, through. You're a natural on the camera. Did <laughs> all this stuff help you when you went After in, you. when you went into the more conventional television uh, because you are now mainstream on uh on uh, national television. Oh, yeah, prop, proper telly, my sister calls it. Um, yes, I guess so. I think because I've had, a, I guess, a 14-year career in delivering television, I'm used to 
having voices in my head mm. and, you know, someone directing me as we're talking. I'm used to having to engage with a person, but also down the lens at the same mm. time and, and managing that. And I think that is a skill that it's very difficult to teach someone. You just need to kind of develop it in time. And like I said, I've had 14 years of that. And, and the set here, it shows a, a mini, I suppose, a kitchen set. And in another corner, there's a sewing room yep. set. So we're literally getting ready to go live within the next hour where I'm going to be broadcasting onto one of our partner company's Facebook pages mm. that we've just had a new product set in one of their stores. So I literally be teaching people how to use the product and then saying, go into one of their 178 stores and you can purchase this this weekend. And no, that's the difference. You're not famous like a celebrity is famous, but it could get that way. I've mentioned Duncan Bannatyne uh, uh, was on the, the TV show You're Now On and yep. he got famous like a celebrity. Is this something you'd be ready for? Um... It's, it's not an aspiration of mine. Mm. However, I think it's a great thing for our industry, you know, because it, it just brings craft more to the, the forefront. Mm. I think it's a great thing for our region. You know, just mm. look at how great it was when Duncan was on TV for this region. I think it's great for younger women. I think it's great for women in business in general. So I'm quite excited to be flying the flag for lots of different minorities, I think. And, and I think that you do have a number of... Uh, things that you hit the button on when it comes to your own personality. Um, you're obviously a woman in business, but also you're a northern woman in business. And I, I always think... Straight that, talking northern woman yeah, in business. you know, there's a lot of people on telly, university educated, got a nice plummy accent, and we northerners could do with a bit more exposure. Uh, it definitely hasn't done me any harm. And the one thing I've loved since, um, you know, since I've kind of had this newfound fame as it was since more people have been aware of me is the amount of other northern people coming up to me mm. saying what a fantastic thing for our region you know you you just you come across really well it highlights essentially what we're doing here and, and how how straight talking us northerners can be but how we really know our stuff tell me about the role of mentorship in your journey both receiving mm -hmm. mentorship and also giving it i think um people talk often about it being pretty lonely at the top and it being pretty lonely when you're an entrepreneur. And one thing that I've always learned over the years is it doesn't matter what sector, doesn't matter what business, you go through exactly the same challenges. And so for me, I've never been frightened to make friends, to put myself out there and then to ask for help. And, you know, I was in a group of all female investors called Gabriel, uh, probably about 10 years ago now. And it exposed me to a network of other high net worth female entrepreneurs from the region and because I was quite a bit younger than them they did take me under their wing a little bit and because I always had that youth thing on my side I wasn't frightened to them and say to go to them and say I don't know about this I've never experienced this I'm having this challenge in my business how have you addressed this and I, I think for a lot of people it's difficult to go and admit that you don't know something and ask mm. for help but it never frightened me and I always used I guess I always thought in my own head, because I was younger, of course I'm not going to know this and people aren't going to expect me to know this, so they're not going to think any less of me. So I've, all, I've never been frightened to go and ask for that help, which is, is really giving me the leg up in terms of I've got a number of mentors, both other entrepreneurs in the region, other female entrepreneurs I've worked with, as I've done a lot of business in the US. I was on the board of directors for the Craft and Hobby Association, which put me into a network of very senior people with a lot of experience in our industry have over the years never been frightened to pick up and pick up the phone to them ask for help support advice as we've gone through various mm -hmm. changes in the business and so for me 
having having mentors i've never actually said will you be my mentor yeah. you know i've well, just leaned on people well, to one do of them that. that worked so well for that they invested yes <laughs> richard harkin of home sir yes and obviously you know richard mm. really well uh, i'm very lucky to have had richard come on board i guess as a personal mentor to me as well as someone who's involved in the business so richard actually chairs up our our uk board and because we're a wholly owned us subsidiary i guess that's our global business and richard's been with me for the last three four years and has just been that sounding board arm around the shoulder as well as being someone who's been able to kind of just help me along on that journey really not mm. just me but help us put the structure into the business that we've needed and learn from essentially a lot of mistakes he's made along along the way but also things that work really well in a business of his scale how mm. do we apply it in a smaller business well it's a business podcast and so i just want to ask you a, a crunchy business question um you talked earlier about your husband and i understand he's now involved in the business and uh, this goes to that because you've talked with great passion about building this business and what you do and how mm -hmm. it involves in it, this community of crafters but what about the profits and what about the incentive that you have as a result of earning money and cash out of the business as well your own wealth is enhanced as a result of this enterprise and your yeah. husband keeps you right on that well i'm i'm lucky in that i married an accountant mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, and we've been together since i was 15 and we are literally like chalk and cheese we mm -hmm. are at complete opposite ends of the spectrum and for me i'm the one off chasing rainbows wanting to drive the business mm -hmm. forward looking for new exciting opportunities and he's the one essentially working the back line to make sure well is everything she's saying we can do actually commercially viable for mm -hmm. the business he won't it keeps me on a bit of a tight leash so mm -hmm. sometimes I want to run off and do something because I can see the potential but actually what I'm not doing sometimes is weighing up the commerciality of that potential versus these are the four or five potential things that might not be as exciting but might be able to deliver more for the business so he's that one at the end making sure are we looking at the opportunity cost of my time senior staff's time commerciality of all of the the opportunities that we have with us and essentially then the bottom line you know mm -hmm. i chase growth he chases profit and it's a it's a really really great balance actually. i can tell you're absolutely passionate and committed to the actual business but do you have time to just breathe sometimes and enjoy the fruits of this labor and, and is this incentive of earning a profit also part of it i think you speak to any successful entrepreneur and they will tell you what drives them is the success mm. not the profit not the turnover it's the success and it's however you measure that success mm. and for me yes success is monetary it's 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 the ego side of the monetary side mm. how big are we how many staff are we employing yeah. it's the sensible side of the monetary side how much profit are we actually making and how is this enhancing our lives but for me as well there are a number of milestones along the way of you know wanting to be the best at something and mm. i guess that was it for me you know whether it's opening retail stores whether it's using new technology to disrupt the market it's wanting to do something different really enhance our business model and and be out there and doing something completely off the chart to what other companies in our sector in our industry are doing and it's that success i think that drives me more than any of the the numbers the profit or any of it sarah it's been absolutely compelling listening to you thank you for joining us on northern business leaders and i wish you all the greatest success in the future thank you and i just want to remind our viewers and listeners that this podcast has been brought to you in association with the professional services firm Deloitte.